Well, we are taking a few weeks to discuss the topic of Bible prophecy. A third of the Bible deals with the subject of Bible prophecy. And uh, we're giving more of an overview. There's so much more than than what we could talk about. So we're going to just mention things that people write books on and spend their lives studying. So we've talked about a couple of things. First of all, it was a few weeks ago, we talked about there would be a sign, and we'll mention this today, that would kick off that final generation. And uh, it would be that Israel would become a nation again. It's the only nation on the planet in the history of the world that existed as a nation, did not exist as a nation for almost 2,000 years, and became a nation again, as God said it would. And also, as part of the story, uh, we would know that it would be God who does this this because when you look at Israel in, uh, in, in, you know, in the Middle East, let me just go ahead and put the, the picture up. Uh, Israel is a very, very tiny place there in all of the Middle East, and it's surrounded by countries that are so much larger. And uh, just to put it in perspective, we took the state of Florida, and if you take Israel, it literally encompasses what you and I would see as Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. It's very small, and uh, they've been attacked by much larger militaries around them, but nobody can remove them because God says, this is what I'm doing. And that's part of the story. It, it's, it's undeniable. So God brought them back into the land. And then we talked about how the, uh, the theme of the last days would be deception. And last week we saw two deceptions that would be even coming into the church. And we talked about that. We're going to see a little of that today. Um, but also when we study end times prophecy, it's important because uh, it helps us to not panic. Uh, We've seen how New York in the past couple of weeks has voted to have abortion all the way up to the point of birth. And uh, that can freak some people out, and it's a terrible thing. But in a few weeks, we're going to look at that through the lens of Bible prophecies. Does the Bible say something specifically about that? So here's why we want to study Bible prophecy. And I want you to write this down on your outline Bible prophecy helps us to understand that things aren't falling apart, they're falling into place. And it's all happening just as the Bible said. So today we're going to look at something that we looked at last year in our study of Matthew. We're not going to cover all of it, just the the part for for, uh, what we're talking about today. But our study begins in Matthew 24. It's a few days before Jesus would go to the cross. And in verse 1 it says, Jesus came out from the temple... And was going away when his disciples came up to the point uh, to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you that not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And we know as a matter of world history that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. Completely destroyed, every, every stone removed. So the disciples are a little bothered by this and so they wait till they're alone with Jesus and they're going to ask him three questions. So in verse 3 it says, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, and here's the three questions, when will these things happen? And that will be the, when will that temple be destroyed? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age, the end of the age? And they had rightly paired his coming with the end of the age. And so they come and they ask him. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's going to take chapters 24 
and 25, and he's going to answer those three questions. Now, this is important. Anytime somebody goes into chapter 24 and 25, and people will do this, they'll, they'll take something that he says, and they'll start teaching on it. They forget that he's answering the three questions that he's just been asked. So anytime you look at chapter 24 and 25, he's answering their three questions. Also, uh, as he answers the question, what is the sign of your coming in the end of the age? If Jesus takes two chapters to answer those questions, it's important. It's very important. So before we get into verse 4, uh, I, I want to just highlight something that it's important that Jesus is going to begin to answer, but we're going to notice that as Jesus answers, he's not going to say, why are you asking about the, the sign of my coming and the end of the age? And that's not really important. Don't focus in on that. It all pans out. You know, You don't need to worry about that. That's not how Jesus responds. Jesus begins his answering of the three questions by verse 4 by saying, and Jesus answered and said to them, see to it, I've underlined that, see to it that no one misleads you, that no one misleads you. Um, the idea is that, uh, some of your Bibles will say that no one deceives you, uh, but, but as it relates to this, there's a great deal of deception. Jesus says, I'll answer your questions, but you need to see to it that no one misleads you. When Jesus says, see to it, he's being very emphatic. So the, the, we're, we're, we're responsible to know this. Well, we're going to begin in verse 5, and he begins his answer, and he says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many, and you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. And I want you to underline, see that you are not frightened. For those things, and you want to underline, must take place must take place, but that is not yet the end. So as a believer, as it relates to this, uh, to the sign of his coming and the end of the age, he tells us that we are not to be misled about these things, and we are not to be frightened about the things that we see. Uh, When it says uh, frightened, uh, some of your Bibles will say uh, alarmed or panicked. Uh, You know, it would our our way of saying, you know, don't be freaked out as you see some of these things taking place. The only people who are panicked or are frightened by the things that are taking place are the people who do not understand what is taking place and and they've not studied to see what Jesus has to say. Jesus says these things must take place. Well, verses 7 and 8, he goes on and he says, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. Some of your Bibles will say a little bit different. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And I've underlined the word birth pangs. So uh, there on your outline, I put verse 7 from uh, the King James Version because it brings something out. For it says, for nation, and you see that word there is ethnos, shall rise against nation, and that word is ethnos. And kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be, there will be, shall be famines and pestilences, and I've underlined both of those words, and earthquakes, and that word there is seismos. But Jesus describes these things as, as beginning like birth pangs. Uh, when a woman is pregnant, there's a very long pregnancy, but at a certain point when labor kicks in, all of a sudden the contractions begin. We call those the birth pangs. And what we find is that as you get closer and closer to the birth, those birth pangs become closer and closer together and more and more intense. Does that make sense? Ladies, is that pretty much how it happens? You know, it, it becomes more and more intense. And so Jesus is saying that's how it's going to be. So after a very long pregnancy, 
Labor's going to kick in, and all of a sudden those birth pangs are going to really take off. So if you were to look in our country, you know, it says uh, nation against nation and, and uh, kingdom against kingdom, uh, and, and you look at birth pangs, uh, the civil war in our country was bad. It was very bad. But that was nothing compared to World War I, which was really bad. But that was nothing compared to World War II. It got incredibly worse. And uh, we've seen things, and you've heard me mention before, there was the tsunami in 2004, and we were shocked because in our lifetime, we had never seen anything like that. Um, But that was a one-time thing. That was on the other side of the world. But then in 2011, there's another tsunami, and uh, that hit Japan. And all of a sudden, we saw the destruction there. And for most of us, prior to those two events, we'd never seen a tsunami. And uh, now, those things are becoming very common. There's an, actually a, a YouTube video called The Five, Five Tsunamis Caught on Video. And it's absolutely fascinating and frightening. And uh, makes you not want to live near the beach, I can tell you that. But, but when it says there in that little verse... Uh, nation will rise against nation. Now that word there is ethnos, from where we get our uh, word ethnic, ethnic. And so what it's saying, you know, when it says nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, it seems like the same thing. Well, the difference is it's describing in that last day there will be uh, ethnos will rise against ethnos. There will be a great deal of racial tension. And then it says in that verse, it says famines and pestilences and earthquakes. And uh, the word famines and pestilence is really one word in the Greek, but it's translated uh, both ways, so they put both ways in. And what it's saying is natural disasters. It's describing in their terms natural disasters. So if you were to just look in our country in the past year, uh, you'll recall it was Hurricane Florence that was there in South Carolina and North Carolina, and it didn't blow through. It stayed there for days, and it was incredible devastation. And that was followed by Hurricane Michael, which hit the panhandle. I was in a pastor's meeting a few weeks ago, and we were talking about how we're participating in the relief for some of the churches there. And one of the things that that, uh, the speaker said, he says that the news has moved on, but the destruction is still there. And the reason the news has moved on is there's so much. So right after that, California caught on fire. Uh, One of my mentors had his house burned down, and uh, they described, they said that the fire came through at 60 miles an hour. There was nothing anybody could do. I can't even fathom fire moving that fast. And uh, then we see record cold storms even this week. And uh, there's another storm that's about to blow across America and then uh, what's happening in California even today. Well, that's just our country, and that's just in the last few months. And it's ramping up as we get closer and closer together. These things must take place. They're not the sign. They're just the birth pangs. And these things are going to take place. They're going to be more and more intense and closer and closer together. When God tells us this, he's not inflicting this on us. It's sort of like here in uh, South Florida, you know, every June we start to pay attention. And so when the National Hurricane Center comes on and says, hey, it's a cat three, it's a cat four, it's a cat five, they're not inflicting that on us. They're just saying, this is what's going to happen. You need to prepare. You need to prepare. God is telling us this so that we can prepare for some of the things that are going to take place. I, uh, I um, you know, in Florida, uh, we, we do watch for hurricanes, and, um, and with 11 kids at our house, Cheryl and I have realized that we always need to be prepared, because um, I was in Hurricane Andrew. How many of you were in Hurricane Andrew? 
Yes. And we all moved up here, didn't we? <laughs> but we were without electricity for six weeks. And uh, so in our family, we realized that if something rolls through with 11 kids, we need to be prepared. We need to be able to stay where we are and have everything that we need to go for a, a, a period of time. We shoot for three months. We're not quite there, but we can go a distance without leaving the house. And uh, one of my favorite books is called Be Thou Prepared. It's by Carl Gallup's. He's a pastor. He used to be a police officer. And uh, he writes on how you become prepared, not for the meltdown of the world, but for these disasters that are rolling through that we see more and more. So you want to you prepare? God's giving us this so that we can prepare. Well, um, so we covered, Jesus goes on here in the chapter and he gives an overview, but I want to skip right to the sign as we continue moving forward. So we're going to go all the way down to verse 32. Jesus gives the overview of how things are going to be. And in verse 32, I put it there on your outline. We talked about this two weeks ago, so I'm just going to go through it rather quickly. He says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near, the next, the next season. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. And I've underlined that. So Jesus is answering what is the sign of his coming. So two weeks ago we talked about this and we talked about how in the Bible, anytime you use the fig tree as a symbol, it's a reference to Israel. And so uh, that's why I put Hosea 9.10. You can look that up later. It just refers to Israel as the fig tree. And so there in verse 32, he says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So after a very long winter, the fig tree looks dead. But in the early spring, it appears to come back to life. It comes back to life. It begins to bud. It looked dead, but it wasn't dead. And then in that verse 32, Now learn the parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves. You know that summer is near when that fig tree that he's talking about here begins to come back to life. You know that the next season is very near and uh, so near he's going to be standing right at the door. So Israel is going to look dead for a very long period of time, almost 2,000 years. But in 1948, that nation, which did not exist as a nation for 2,000 years, came back to life just as the Bible said. It's the only country on the planet in the history of the world. He says, when you see that, the next season is summer, and then it says there in verse 33, I'm reading this from the Bible, so you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near. How near? Right at the door. But then he goes on and he says in verse 34, he says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Some people would say it's the generation 2,000 years ago. Can't be because all these things did not take place. It's the generation that saw that fig tree come back to life. My mom was eight years old when Israel became a nation again. And uh, that generation has not passed away. You know, they were starting to get up there, but they haven't passed away. Jesus knows uh, how, um, I mean, how incredible this sounds and how we might say, well, I, I just, I, I don't know, I can buy that. So he puts verse 35 right there and he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
Then verse 36, he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. He's told us we will know the generation. That generation will not pass away, but we won't know the day or the hour. So we don't set dates. Um, Anytime somebody sets a date, that's the day you know it's not going to happen. So we don't set dates. So, but that generation, we can know that. He wants us to know that. So now he takes it just a little bit further. He says, talking about the sign of his coming, what it's going to be like in the world, verse 37 is going to be important for us. He says, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. We'll come back to that. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. By the way, when you go to seminary, one of the great debates is, did Noah's Ark really happen? And they spend lots of time really you know, debating this. Just know that Jesus believed it happened. I'd go with that. So, um, so the reality is that, that they were buying, they were selling, you know, and giving in marriage. Uh, but, but most people missed the significance of what was going on as they went about their daily lives. So we're going to look at that today, what that time period looked like and what was going on. But they were, on the one hand, you have their buying and their selling. You know, it's life kind of going on. On the other hand, you have these birth pangs taking place, you know, and, and uh, earthquakes and famines and things of that nature. You and I live in the only generation, literally since Israel became a nation, where life can go on the way that it is, but you know what's going on around the world. Prior to this time, if there was a, a tsunami in the other part of the world, we would never know it. And so it speaks about this time. It's also important to know that since they're buying and they're selling, even though there's those birth pangs going on that you want to prepare for, there is no worldwide collapse before Jesus comes back. They'll still be buying and selling, and so that's important to know. So don't build a bunker, but prepare for some natural disasters that may come our way. So notice how this generation ends. We pick it up in verse 40. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill one will be taken and one will be left. There's going to be a worldwide event. Now when Luke tells the story, Luke adds that there will be uh, two in bed, one will be taken. So you have two grinding in the, in the, in the morning, uh, two at work in the field, that would be the daytime, and two in bed, that would be night. And so this is a worldwide event uh, that will take place where one will be taken and the other uh, would not. That's a picture of what you and I would call the rapture, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But there in your outline, I put verse 37, and it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, Jesus never says it will be like the days of Ezekiel or Isaiah or David or Solomon or anybody. He says it will be just like it was in the days of Lot, and says just like it was in the days of Noah. Last week we looked at what it would look like in the days of Lot. Today we're going to look at what it's going to look like in the days of Noah. So let's go all the way back in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Noah gets one chapter as to how it would all take place. Are we so far so good? Okay, good. So verse 1, it says, Now it came about when men 
began to multiply, and I've underlined that word, multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them. So one of the things that we're going to find, it's going to be in a time, we're going to call this a population explosion. And so write that down. You know, what, what many of us, uh, we've never really thought about, but from the time that Noah gets off the ark till the time of our civil war in the United States of America, that's how long it takes to go from eight people to one billion people. Um, but less than 70 years after that, in 1935, uh, the world goes to two billion people. And you go 30 years after that, 1965, the world goes to three billion people. But you go 30 years after that, we don't add a billion, we double in size. So we go to six billion. And right now we're at 7.7 billion people on the planet. So it says there's this time of multiplication, and that's certainly taken place in the past hundred years. Now here's where it gets weird, but a lot of fun. Are you ready for some weird fun? Good. You've come to the right place. Verse 2. Uh, Let me read verse 1 again. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, you want to underline that, saw that the daughters of men, and so this is going to be two different groups, were beautiful and they took wives for themselves whomever they chose. Apparently this is not something that somebody had, it wasn't a, a mutual decision. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he is also also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. It doesn't mean that man lives 120 years. God's bringing judgment in 120 years. Uh, The Nephilim, and I've underlined that. How many Bibles say giants? Good, you want to underline that. Uh, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, after this time period, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them and they were mighty men who were of old men of renown. And we'll talk about that. So let me oversimplify this. And I, I know we've talked about this before, but what we're going to find is that they began to, and you want to write this down, they began to mix and alter DNA. Uh, the daughters of man were being mixed in DNA with something else. When it says the sons of God, the Greek or the Hebrew word there is Benai Elohim, which is just the Old Testament way of saying angels. And so you want to write that down, angels. So the question is, can angels do that? The sons of God, Benai Elohim, do that with the daughters of men. Well, interesting thing, Jesus was asked about marriage in heaven, and Jesus said this. He says, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And uh, Bible scholars say it's interesting that Jesus felt like he needed to say angels in heaven specifically. Maybe some other angels did some other things. If you go to the book of Jude, now the book of Jude is considered the introduction to the book of Revelation. It's that one page book of the Bible just before Revelation. And there Jude is speaking and he says this, the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, and I've underlined that, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So you have these angels who abandoned their proper abode. Their proper abode was the spiritual realm. And they did something that was so bad that God said, I'm going to lock them up and keep them in bonds until the time of judgment. And uh, so who are these angels who are now in these eternal bonds? Well, Peter tells it like this. 
Peter says, in which also he, Jesus, went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Underline that. Who once were disobedient. And here's when. When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark. So it tells us this is what was going on uh, all the way back in the time of Noah. So Genesis tells us what they did when they left their proper abode, verse 2 of Genesis 6, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves whomever they chose. But verse 4 tells us what the result of that was. Verse 4 it says, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God, in case we miss it, came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So the, the result was this entity called the Nephilim. Now the, the most common way of translating Nephilim is, uh, you want to write this down, it's just fallen ones. Uh, nephal just means to fall. And if you have the King James Version, it says giants. Is what, and how many of you, your Bibles have giants? Good, because that's, that's how they're described, and we'll see that in a minute. Since they weren't really human, uh, they couldn't be saved. But they also weren't really angelic. And so uh, there was nothing that, that, that you could really do with them. When it says that they were men of renown, that's not in the positive. If you look at the wording there, it means they were tyrants and they were bullies. And that's, that's how uh, the, the word is defined. So about 300 years before Jesus was born, 270 BC, the world was speaking Greek. And uh, the religious leadership said, we need to have a Bible that the people can read in their own language. So they translated the Bible from Hebrew into Greek. And that, that Bible is called the Septuagint. That's the Bible that Jesus would always quote from. And uh, there on your outline, I put Genesis 6-4 from the Septuagint, and it says, now the giants were upon the earth in those days and after that. So, so the reason that your Bible says giants is because that was their understanding of who they were, and that's what the Septuagint would call them. So you and I might read this and we might discount this. You know, we might say, well, I don't know that I really buy that. But what's interesting is that every culture around the world has legends of these things. And uh, linguists tell us there on your outline, you see the word titan. They were called titans in Greek. And uh, linguists tell us that that comes from a much older word, shaitan, from the Chaldean language. And uh, then linguists tell us that if you go back a little bit further, goes from Titan the Shaitan to Satan. And you want to write that down in the Hebrew. And so you can see how that word has morphed through the years. In verse 4, it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. So when the nation of Israel goes into the promised land thousands of years ago, here's what they said. They said that there were also... there also we saw the Nephilim, and it says the sons of Anak, and you want to underline the word Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Uh, interesting, when it says the Nephilim, um, the word Anak there, the sons of Anak, Anakim just means long-necked. And if you look at any Bible dictionary, it just means a race of giants. Does everybody see that? So when you see in the ancient 
hieroglyphics and you see somebody who has a very long neck. Uh, how many of you have seen pictures of that? They have a very long neck. That might be more than just an artist's rendition. Uh, that was a race of people called the Anakim. And uh, interesting also, the next verse, it says, King Og of Bashan was the last of the giant Rephaites. If you want to look up that word Rephaites, it just means giants in, in Hebrew. His iron bed was more than 13 feet long and six feet wide. So this is what they encountered when they went into the promised land. And Jesus says it will be just the same. I'm not suggesting that they're going to be 15 feet tall, but there's going to be a mixing of the human DNA with something else. So just for fun, if you find it interesting at all, there are some great resources uh, to, to consider. First of all, there's what's called the Judgment of the Nephilim by Ryan Peterson. He's a Columbia Law Law School graduate, incredibly researched, and he goes into a great deal of depth on this. And uh, another great source written by non-believers, it's called Giants on the Record. And they go through all of the newspaper articles uh, throughout the world and throughout history, even in our country, where these skeletons have been found. And uh, it's very, very fascinating. And uh, there's some pictures in there, but it's just interesting what was written as they find these things. My favorite um, researcher on this is a guy named L.A. Marzulli, and he does great documentaries. Uh, this is called On the Trail of the Nephilim, and it talks about the, the mysterious mound builders. Great, great stuff. Again, people, this is a whole field of study. I've taken five minutes to just kind of highlight it. And uh, you haven't ran out here screaming like little girls, so we're, gonna, we're doing good. So there was the co-mingling of human DNA with something else. They were altering the gene pool. That's why God said, reproduce after their own kind. Now, the last time we talked about this, I gave the word transhuman. Is that word on your outline, transhuman? Go ahead and look that up. And if you were to go back in 2008 and you were to type in transhuman on your computer, you get about 25 hits. If you look it up now, there's 25,000 hits because they are commingling human DNA with other things um, in, in laboratories all around the world. One article I shared last time came from the Daily Mail. 150 human animal hybrids grown in UK labs. Embryos have been produced secretly for the past three years. And so this is something that you're going to see more and more. There's going to be mixing of human DNA with something else. And so that's going to be something that we're going to see. Well, Jesus said it would be just like the days of Noah. Well, just, just one final verse before we move on. When we studied Daniel, we discovered an interesting end times verse. And uh, there on your outline it says, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. Uh, whoever they are is not human, but they're going to try to co-mingle bigger subject, but it's just like it was in the days of Noah. Well, verse 5, it says, and I'll read verse 5 on our outline, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination, I've underlined imagination, and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So one of the things that we'll see is there's going to be evil imagination. And uh, since Israel became a nation, you and I live in the only generation where you can participate in evil things through virtual reality, on television, through video, through your computer. Uh, you don't even have to participate, but you can just imagine it. And uh, probably a lot more uh, talk there. Verse 6, it says, The Lord was very sorry that he'd made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. He doesn't throw a temper tantrum. 
uh, it just breaks his heart. The Lord said, I will, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of land and from animals so that creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We'll come back to that. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless. That word means complete also. He, uh, Bible scholars look at that and say it means he was fully human in this time where there was a lot of mixing. Noah walked with God, and I've underlined that. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, verse 11, it says, the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. The earth was filled with violence. Interesting thing, uh, go ahead and write down, the earth was filled with violence. Apparently in that time, violence was accelerating. Maybe they were flying jets into buildings trying to target civilians. Maybe people were walking into movie theaters and shooting over 70 people. Uh, Maybe they were leaving bombs at marathons. Uh, Maybe they were walking to clubs like maybe in Orlando and shooting up to 100 people. Or, Or maybe it was a time like where somebody shoots... 500 people killing 69 people there, or 59 people there in Las Vegas. Uh, But it would be a time where violence was increasing. Would you agree that you and I live in an interesting time where things are increasing? I mean, our world has really changed since I was a boy. One of the things I find very interesting is there in verse 11, I put it on your outline, it says, the earth was filled with violence. The Hebrew word for violence is the word Hamas, Hamas. Uh, Hamas is one of the leading terrorist organizations that is surrounding Israel right now. And uh, so is, is, that, is that a coincidence or, or, or is God giving us a little clue of a certain kind of violence that would be surrounding the world in that last time? Interesting thing, before you watch the game today, just to kind of seal the deal on your day, go online and just type in Hamas summer camp. And there are articles written all around the world that are sounding the alarm. So let me just read this. Summer camp, Hamas raises the next generation of killers. Muhammad Nafil's 10-year-old son will be participating in this. And this year's theme is Jerusalem Intifada. The 12-year-old Musab is learning how to crawl beneath barbed wire and wield assault rifles and simulated attacks on Israeli military outposts. uh, it says, these camps are designed to prepare a generation that carries the Quran and the rifle. Senior Hamas official Khalil, I can't pronounce his name. But then it says, this July alone, 50,000 campers gathered for the Jerusalem Intifada. That's the number of people Hamas is training to, to conduct terror operations. It would be just as it was in the days of Noah. So do you find that interesting? So um, Hamas, or violence, will cover the earth. And uh, we're seeing that take place. And uh, Paul would say it differently in the New Testament. He says, you must understand this, that in the last days there will be violent periods of time. Nowhere in your Bible does it say it gets better and better. It just says this is what it's going to be like in that last days in the final generation. Not the most encouraging thing. But here's what we we know. We know the rest of the story. And by the way, let me just say very quickly, God's not inflicting this on us. God's saying this is what's going to happen. 
so that you can be aware and prepare. What would you do if you knew that violence was going to increase exponentially and you knew it because God said it? What steps would you take? What steps would you take if you knew that these natural disasters were going to increase exponentially as we are seeing? We've been very blessed here in, in Jupiter and uh, we pray that that continues. But here, here's the rest, the rest of the story that we know. Just like in the days of Noah, and I want you to write this down, only a few would believe and prepare. Nobody really listened to the message. It, it, it just So it, Paul would say it like this, by faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. It would be just the same uh, just before Jesus comes back. Very few will believe and prepare. Noah's message was not, we're going to win it back. Noah's message was prepare for what is absolutely coming our way. And God told Noah what was going to happen. So by faith, Noah prepared. Noah prepared. Again, most did not believe the message and most did not prepare. But here's the part that I want to close with today. And you want to write this down. In the midst of that final generation, God called Noah to an incredible journey of faith to accomplish something great in his time. Something great in his time. And it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of Jehovah. I'm not really going to talk about that, but that's a very New Testament, New Testament uh, word. When society was going completely opposite, God called Noah to do something incredible. There in your outline, to accomplish God's purpose, God would need to provide, protect, and preserve Noah and his family. You and I live in the most fascinating time uh, of world history. Uh, Israel has become a nation. We saw the deception. We talked about that last week. We see the days of Noah. This week, Hamas is covering the earth, and uh, lots of things are going on. We are very, very close to that event where Jesus says, I am standing at the door. Did you find that interesting? Good. All right, well, we're going to pick it up next week, and we're going to look next week. What does the Bible say about the church just before Jesus comes back? Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, we pray today that, that, uh, Lord, our eyes would be open, and Lord, that we would not be like those around Noah who chose not to see or believe what was taking place. But Lord, as followers of you, we want to see, we want to believe, we want to prepare for some of the things that may take place around us. But then Lord, help us to be a light shining so that, so that others can see you in us and want what we have. Father, I pray you keep all of us till we meet again. And of course, may the best team win. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.